All right, my friends, if you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open them to James chapter 2. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. And you can open that Bible to page number 1197. James chapter 2. And today we'll be looking between verses 14 and verse 20. If I were to ask you this morning to define faith, how would you define it? What would you say? I think some of you would probably quote Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. You know that famous verse that says, Faith is the what? The assurance of things hoped for. The evidence of things seen. You may say that faith is trusting in someone or trusting in something. But real faith, genuine faith, takes that statement just a little bit further. I like what A.W. Tozer once said. He said, Faith is not a conclusion that you reach, but rather, faith is a journey that you live. Yeah. See, faith has, has two components. There's an intellectual agreement. Uh, you, you, I, I believe these choir chairs. I believe that this chair will, will hold me if I sit in it. It's got a cushion. It's got a back. It's got four steel legs. I have an intellectual agreement. How many of you think, now don't be mean, how many of you think <laughs> that this chair will hold me? Okay, we have a belief, we have an intellectual agreement that this chair will hold me if I sit down in it. But my belief is not proven until there's an intentional action that goes along with my intellectual agreement. For me to demonstrate my faith or show you my faith, I've got to do what? I've got to sit down in the chair and now I have not just told you that I think the chair will hold, you, hold me, I have shown you what I believe by my works. By my sitting intentionally in the chair. There are two on-ramps to faith, if you think of it that way. There's intellectual agreement, and there is intentional action. And both have to be present for faith to be real, for faith to be genuine, for faith to be something that, that matters to us. So how does this relate? How does this chair, how does this thought relate to our faith in Christ? What James wants us to see and what what the Lord wants us to see is that faith is far more than just words. Faith in Christ is more than just an intellectual agreement. Faith is, of course, knowing who Jesus is and what Jesus did and why that matters. Faith is, of course, knowing that Jesus is the sinless Son of God who lived a sinless life here on earth. Faith is, of course, knowing that Jesus died the death of a criminal in order, in order to fulfill the law. Faith is, of course, believing that Jesus came back to life, that he defeated death and sin for us. Faith is, of course, an intellectual agreement that we repent of our sins and trust in Christ. But that's not all that faith is. That's easy believism. This idea that thinks that all we got to do is, is say a prayer, maybe get baptized, and we're going to be all right with the man upstairs. That's easy believism. It might be the beginning. Those things are the beginning of a real faith, but that's not all that faith is. That's just intellectual agreement. Faith without works is not real faith, it's something else. And James calls it useless. What we discover in these final few verses of James 2 is this, this really this beautiful painting that James paints for us, and he begins by painting two pictures of what faith is, to, what, what faith isn't. Two pictures that faith is useless. If you have your Bibles, again, let me invite you to open them to James chapter 2. 
and stand as we read together, beginning in verse 14, down to verse 20. Again, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you, page number 1197. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible this morning. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such a faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is good, or that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Pray with me. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that today as we uh, gather around your written and revealed word, that you would change our lives. I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would change our lives, that you would give me the words to say, the exact words to say, and that you would accomplish your work through your word. Help us to live lives of faith. Help us to live lives that are not just words, but are, are works combined with words. Help us to practice what we preach. Have your way this morning here, I pray, in the awesome, saving, and beautiful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You can be seated. Two pictures of useless faith that James presents to us or for us in James chapter 2. The first one is this. It is dead faith. And dead faith is characterized by insincere words. Now, it's important to remember. Remember last week we talked about that, that sin of favoritism found in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. That, that sin of favoritism, that someone walks into the building and they're really rich and they, the, 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 the early church was catering to the rich and discriminating against the poor. And we saw that last week, how, the, how, how James says that is a serious, grievous Awful sin. The rich person had the choice seat in the house and the poor person had to sit on the floor. And now James then goes into this passage in verse 14 and he's talking about a faith, the same kind of faith, a faith that is real and a faith that is useless. And he begins by describing a picture of someone who is impoverished. Someone who is, who is poor. They're hurting. Look at verse 14 in your Bibles. James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone, what does your Bible say after that word someone? What good is it if someone what? Says. Claims or says. They claim to have faith, but does not have works. Can such a faith save him? Two questions that James asks his readers here in verse 14. What good is saying you have faith? What good is a, a claim to faith? And can that claim to faith save a person? What good is intellectual agreement? That person can articulate doctrine. They know the Bible. They've read the Bible. They claim they are Christians. And yet, James' question is simple. What good is faith? What good is faith if it's only words? If that person claims to have faith but does not have works, are they 
even saved. What good is that faith? And are they even saved? And the way he phrases that is no. That faith is worthless, useless. And are they saved? No. And he goes by giving, he then gives a specific example. Look in your Bibles. Verse 15 and 16. James says this, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, here's that impoverished person. They're without clothes and lacks daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed. But you don't give them what the body needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is, what's your Bible say? Dead. Dead by itself. The term brother or sister used there in verse 15 is a a family term. One commentator referred to it as a, a reference to the messianic community. Think of it like this. That's a brother or sister in Christ. That's someone that you know, someone who is a believer, someone who, who knows the Lord. And the picture that James paints here is that the believer, this member of the family of God, is in a perpetual state of lacking what they need, in a perpetual state of lacking the, the clothing they need to stay warm and the food they need to stay full. It's not that they have no clothing, it's that they have the wrong clothing. It's not that they have no food, it's that they don't have enough food. And it's a perpetual problem. Do y'all remember, uh, was it three weeks ago, a month ago, what's that thing called that comes down from the Arctic that made it so cold? The, what's that called? Help me out. Polar vortex. Do you remember that? And it got to, uh, gosh, did it get to negative 20? Did anybody get lower than negative 20? It was freezing then, right? I think we had five or six days in a row of, of negative sub-zero temperatures. It was freezing. Now imagine on that day, on that day when it was negative 10 degrees outside, imagine someone that you know walks into the church and they're wearing a pair of jeans with holes in them and a, a tank top or maybe even a long sleeve t-shirt. They have clothing but you know they don't have adequate clothing. And that's not a person who's like a middle schooler who's just refusing to wear a coat, right? I mean, this is someone who they, they do not have proper clothing to keep them warm. And they come in the building and you know them and you know that this is a brother or sister in Christ who needs some help, who, who needs a, a coat, who needs a, a sandwich. And they sit down next to you and you say to them, boy, it sure is cold out there, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty cold. Yeah, I hope my pipes don't freeze. And then you go through the church service. And then that, 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 that brother or sister leaves. And with the compassion of a honey badger, because you know a honey badger don't care. With the compassion of a honey badger, you say to them, Well, I'm praying for you, brother. I hope you find a, a coat. And I hope you find a sandwich somewhere. And the picture that James presents is that the brother who says that is one who is able to meet that need. He's got 10 coats at home in his closet. He's got a spare bedroom. He's got money in his pocket. But the best he can muster up is uh, praying for you, hope, hope things work out. What good is that faith? No good. There is no compassion a total lack of compassion. That's what James says. He says, if one of you says to them, go in peace, praying for you, go in peace, stay warm, hope you find a coat, be well fed, but doesn't give them what they need, what good is that? Those are simply insincere words that don't mean anything. Save your breath. 
That's what he's saying. Save your breath. And why would, why would that person say that? Because they desire to look religious on the outside, but on the inside, there's nothing there. That faith is not a real faith. And James says, can such a faith even save him? And the answer is no. And you say, well, that's bold. How can you see in someone's heart? That's what the Bible says. Look in your Bible. Faith, if it does not have works, is, what's the word? Dead. And listen, we've got to be super clear here about what James isn't saying. He's not saying that good works will save you. That's not the message you should walk away hearing today. He's not saying that if you leave today and you go to Columbia uh, and you find someone on, on the street and if you give them 20 bucks, you'll, you'll earn your salvation, you'll buy your salvation. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that good works will save you. Furthermore, he is not opposed to Paul. Oftentimes people will juxtapose James' words and Paul's words as if they are somehow fighting one another. You know what Paul said in that famous verse in Ephesians 2? You can probably repeat it with me. Paul says in Ephesians 2, For you are saved by grace through what? Through faith. And this is not of yourself. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. And then James comes along and James says, Faith without works is dead. And James says, show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So which one is it? Is, it? is faith without works dead? Or is salvation through faith not from works so that no one can boast? And what you need to see here is that James and Paul are not contradicting one another. Instead, they are complementing one another. I love what one commentator said. He says this, James and Paul are not standing face to face fighting each other, but they're standing rather back to back fighting two common enemies. James is fighting easy believism and Paul is fighting a works-based righteous legalism. And by the way, we have to go back to Paul's words in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We have to read verse 10. 2, 8, and 9 says, for you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourself. It's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. But listen to verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Those are verbs. Those are action words. We were prepared for good works. Paul says, yes, you are saved by grace through faith, but you were created for good works. In fact, what James and Paul say are the exact same thing that Jesus said. When, when Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know them. In other words, you'll know who belongs to, to Christ based on the works that are made evident in their life. Listen, it's not a profession of faith that saves, nor is it deeds of faith that save. Only God saves. And God saves by His grace through faith. That's, that's important for us to understand. God is the only one who saves. Jesus is the only one who paid the penalty of our sins, making, us, making a way for us to be saved. In Christ alone we stand. It is Christ alone who saves. And He saves by His grace through our faith. And the Bible even says that faith is a gift from God. Did you know that? But he saved you for 
Good works. Words don't save you. Works don't save you. Christ alone saves you. When you repent of your sin and turn to Christ and trust Him and then begin to live out your faith, you demonstrate that you are a born-again believer of God. I like what another commentator said. He says it like this. He says, in this passage, we should emphasize what James emphasized. Faith without deeds is good to no one. He was not implying that deeds of faith are effective for salvation. Rather, deeds of faith demonstrate the validity of the claim to be a believer. Without the deeds, the claim of faith is dead. Faith without works is dead. And listen to me, dead Dead faith cannot produce righteous works. Dead faith can only produce insincere words and selfish, self-centered works. And the, the danger, listen closely, the danger that James is confronting here is one that we deal with today, this, this very day, that we can simply have a profession of faith, that we can even be baptized we can say the right things, have insincere words, and we can be, we can be okay. But the idea that we, that we can say that we believe in Christ and live as effective atheists, live as if Christ isn't real, that's found nowhere in the Bible. Faith always leads to action. And a faith that doesn't lead to action is not only useless, it is Dead. Dead faith is characterized by insincere words. And the second picture of useless faith that James presents is that of demonic faith. And that might shock some of you. Demonic faith is characterized by idle words. Did you know that demons, demons have faith? That might be a shock to you. You might think, what? Demons have faith? Well, they at least have an intellectual agreement. They even have an emotional response. Demons know something and they shudder because of it. James introduces this picture of demonic faith by giving this rhetorical argument that someone might use. It says this, look in your Bible, verse 18. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. I like the way the New Living Translation says this. It says, someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? The, 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 the argument here this person uses is that there's some sort of a divine distribution of the gifts. That, that one person, maybe this half of the church, y'all have faith and this half of the church, y'all have works. And so, let the people who just have faith, have faith. And let the people who have works, show their works. And James says, there's a huge, huge logical, uh, glaring lack of logic in that statement. How can you even show your faith without deeds? Faith is made evident by works. I say, I believe the chair can hold me. But it's not until I sit down and prove and demonstrate to you that, that, that the chair can hold me, that I truly believe the chair can hold me. And look at verse 19. James says, you believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe. And they shudder. 
You are orthodox in your doctrine. Good for you. You can list the five solas of the Reformation. That's great. You can articulate the gospel. Good. You can tell me all about Calvinism and Arminianism. Great. You can tell me about pre-trib, pre-millennial reign of Christ. You can tell me all about whatever your eschatological belief is. You can tell me all about God. You know He's one and you nail it. Good. So can the demons. And they are unsaved, unregenerate, hell-bound creatures. They have an intellectual agreement. They're, they're monotheistic. They believe that God is one. Jewish orthodoxy centered itself around the Shema. You'll know that verse when I read it to you. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is... Demons believe that. Demons even believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They even said so when they begged him. Do you remember in Mark chapter 5, the story of Legion? And they, they, Jesus shows up and, and Legion says to, to Jesus, What do you want with me, son of the most high God? Listen, there are zero demons that are atheists. And there are zero demons who are saved by God. Their home is in the lake of fire. Why? Because they have an intellectual agreement and that's useless. Look at verse 20. James says, senseless person, your translation may say foolish person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Listen, James's goal here is not to get, my goal here is not to get anyone to doubt their salvation. The goal of James, the goal of myself, the goal of the Word is not to get someone unsaved so that we can get them resaved, right? The, the goal of, of James is to rather encourage us to consider the Bible to be like a mirror. And when we look at the Bible, what, what do we see looking back at us? The goal of James is to get us to examine our lives before a holy God. Before what God says, the standard that God has, not the standard that Fox News or CNN or uh, ESPN or whatever, not the standard of the culture. The, the goal of James, the goal of the Lord is that you would use the standard by which God has to examine your life and to see how do you measure up? How, how do you measure up? D does your life, the life that you live, the things that you say, the things that you do, the places you spend your money, the things you let your eyes see and the things that you prevent your eyes from seeing, the time that you spend, the way that you talk, the way that you act around others when you're not here. Does that reflect the kind of person the Bible calls us to be? Do you have the fruits of the Spirit evident in your life. You remember the fruits of the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul goes on to say against, against those things, there is no law. There's no law saying you can only be so kind. <laughs> you won't go to jail for being too patient. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. 
That's what's made evident in your life as the Holy Spirit changes who you are. Now it's important that we recognize that James isn't talking about the person who is experiencing occasional seasons of dryness, occasional seasons of spiritual dryness. He's not talking about the person that occasionally wanders off the path. He's not talking about the Christian who sins. Catch this. He's not talking about the Christian who sins. He's talking about the sinner who claims to be a Christian but isn't. The, 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 the one who only has insincere and idle words, and I would even say well-intentioned words, but there's no action to back up their words. Listen, if you believe in Christ, if you're a believer in Christ, that means the Holy Spirit has taken up residence within you and He produces the fruit of the Spirit. And apart from that, apart from true repentance, believing in the gospel, and living out your belief, if you don't have that, if all you have are words without action, or action without words, you have to examine your life against the mirror that is God's word. Let me ask you for just a minute to close your eyes and bow your heads. And that's what I want you to do in these next few minutes. I just want you to simply examine your life in the mirror that is the Word of God. What do you see when you examine your life against the mirror that is the Word of God? Do you see someone who, who needs to be saved? Someone who is like the, the man with dead faith? well-intentioned, but insincere words? Do you know doctrine but have no idea of devotion? Does your stated belief in Christ produce a behavior for Christ? It always will. Belief drives behavior. Behavior follows belief. If your belief is is words only. And you realize right now in this moment that you need to stop playing the game and start following Christ. I want you to know that the God of the Bible loves you so very much that he brought you here today for that very purpose, to show you that you belong to him, that, that he loves you. The God of the Bible so loves you and his desire is to save you. And the Bible says very clearly that, that you make a profession of faith. That is, that you believe that Jesus is God's Son who died on the cross for you. And if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, defeating your sin, and if you repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ, you will be saved. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you and He begins to make fruit for your life. He leads you to action. He gives you compassion. A faith that is characterized by action, a living faith, is a genuine and real faith. If you don't know the Lord, I beg of you, I plead with you, repent and believe in Christ. And if you need help with that, I'll be standing down here in just a moment and I'll, I'll help you. And listen to me, if you know that you are a born-again believer in Christ, but you also know that you're in a season of dryness, of spiritual dryness, that you've wandered from God's plan for your life, Repent and get back to work for the sake of the gospel 
to the glory of God.